Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. I am Andy Little, joined by my friends Drew and Tanner. Guys, how are you? Doing, Doing well. great. Excited. I think there's another friend on here though, right? Well, I, 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 I'm, get, I'm getting to the lots of friends that are here. And then our co-host, John Casey. John, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you? Great. And then really our guests of the hour are two people that I've wanted, we've wanted to bring on the show for a long time. Um, people we've interacted with. In fact, I was, I was thinking about it that uh, both of them, we sat down a couple years ago in Seattle to talk about starting a podcast. And then we talked about bringing them on the show then, and then life happened and it didn't happen. But I'm happy to have them both on. So we have Lexi Mannix and Melissa Parsons, the founders of SheMD. Um, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're so excited to be here. So when we wanted to bring you on the show, it was really to talk about this great resource that you two have created over the last couple of years. And as, as purveyors of a resource, I mean, EM over easy, I don't think has maybe the impact that SheMD does, but we understand that it's kind of your baby and you've kind of started it and it's another child. It's another, you know, another seat at the table and it's a, a lot of, a lot of your time. Um, we wanted to really bring you on and talk about like why SheMD and then kind of go into the specifics of where you came up with the idea. So um, really why SheMD, Lexi and Melissa? So I guess I can start. Um, I have an undergrad degree in sociology and actually spent like all four years of undergrad studying gender, um, which I still went to medical school, but it was really nice to have this very different lens through which I saw the world um, kind of going into medicine. So I had kind of been having these discussions with people that I grew up with, with in college, and then after surrounding gender, surrounding gender equity and those sort of things. So that had always been a little bit of a passion of mine. Um, and when I got to residency, I met my chief resident, who is Dr. Melissa Parsons, um, who since then has become my best friend, my partner in crime, my colleague, my co-APD, kind of all those things. Um, and she and I started having discussions about gender. Um, and I'll kind of turn it over to you to jump off from there. Sure. So I do not have a sociology background like Lexi. Um, but I think in residency, I really started to notice that there were some things that were a little bit different between me and my male colleagues. Um, at the time, we actually had a pelvic exam room that was dedicated pelvic exams. And I always seemed to be the one cleaning the pelvic exam room and none of my male colleagues did and I never knew why. There were just a few other things that I started to notice and started talking to my senior female residents about um, and I noticed it wasn't a me thing. It was really much more of a we thing and something we had all experienced, but none of us were talking about. So when Lexi came in as my intern, um, we started having these conversations much more, much more frequently and then actually started a women's group at our institution to start having the conversation from that aspect. We individually started blogging and then joined um, an academic group that pushed us basically to start working together instead of separately and kind of spread our information to a larger audience. And I think one of the big pushes for me was actually that my infertility. There was a bunch of literature on physician infertility, female physician infertility, that I realized nobody was telling us when we were in medical school. And we could take that information to medical schools across the country and change that. So it's actually really cool. Like we we were independently doing work. And then it was actually Teresa Chan and Michelle Lynn who pointed out to us that like we were impacting things independently. But if we came together, 
we could do so much more as a team and as a community than we could individually. Um, so this was actually while I was in Chicago doing fellowship and Melissa was working down here um, in Florida. And we had a couple of very long phone calls about what we were going to call it and what our goal was going to be. And we really tried to develop our vision before we fully jumped in. Um, and our biggest thing was bringing the conversation to women in medical education. Um, we felt like there were a good bit of conversations having happening about what it's like to be a faculty member and work-life integration and what it's like to be a mom and an EM doc. But we didn't feel like the conversation existed for medical students, for pre-med students, for residents. And that's where we wanted our focus to be. So I think that work-life integration has come to the forefront over the past year, uh, now that we're in the middle of a pandemic and so many of us are, are working from home. And, and, and I, you are absolutely right in that this is an issue that has for a long time faced females, particularly females in medicine. I think a, a, as a male, I am starting to grasp a little bit of it, but I mean, it's, it's minute compared to what my female colleagues have experienced and are continuing to experience. So tell us more about that. I mean, what, what really is that challenge for females in general in the workplace, but specifically in medicine and, and where you all are trying to make that impact? Sure. So I have um, two stepchildren that are teenagers, and then I have an infant. So I have kind of both ends of the spectrum, which make it a little bit weird. But I notice a lot of times, you know, I, I was laughing with Lexi the other day, um, I can accomplish all of my work that I can do in a day is like first nap, second nap, and then after bedtime. And the rest of my time is devoted to childcare if I'm at home. Um, and somehow I'm still somewhat productive. I like to laugh about it. I'm like Somewhat is a strong <laughs> like underestimate of how productive she is. But, you know, that's I, I, I miss the days where I had 16 hours of my own time to be able to get everything done I needed to, you know, but we're you just adjust. And I think I have more to do lists than ever now being really focused on I have to do these things today during first nap, these things during second nap. So you guys are actually during second nap today, if you wanted to know. Um, that's why we asked for 2 p.m. instead of 1 p.m. Right. Um, but so that's that's one of the things that we talk a lot about, though, is for women in medicine, I think so many women are told like you can only do these careers, right? Like you need you should go into pediatrics or you should go into this, you should go into that. But you create the life that you want. You can be a surgeon and have a family. Um, you can, I mean, I think EM is great. I may go to all nights at some point because I think it will work better for my work life integration and spending time with my kids. But you know, that's those options are available to us and it's really about crafting the life that you want. So one of the things we've really pushed is having women from all different specialties write about why they chose their specialty, but also how they have the life that they want while doing that. Uh, and I think that's been one of the big things we've pushed when we go and talk to students about work-life integration is like you can have everything you want. You can't do it all at the same time. You're going to have to ask people for help. You're going to have to have a, a partner that's a real partner. Especially so like that is one of our biggest things is make your partner a real partner. And that's something we talk about so often with our residents, with the medical students that rotate with us, the places we go to speak like that's a big thing for us. Yeah, we don't do a lot of laundry and we have to admit that. No, and that's OK. Yep. And like I, I think I have groceries being delivered also while we're on this podcast today. It's all about like multitasking. Yeah. Um, something though to touch on Drew, like the work-life integration that you just brought up, especially now, um, 
With COVID, we're seeing it disproportionately impact women. There's been a couple of recent publications, one looking at the actual first author publications that have come out in the past 12 months compared to the prior 12 months, and female first authors dropped by approximately 19%. And then we're also seeing disproportionate amounts of childcare, family care, et cetera, fallen women. It's exaggerating the gender pay gap. And there's a lot of publications coming out about how specifically COVID is impacting our female physicians even more than what we were experiencing beforehand. My wife at home has been very good about trying to help me see the differences that genders have and the impacts that that can uh, kind of draw on both of us in different directions. And as I've watched and learned more from some of my female colleagues, I can definitely see how this has been an extremely trying year um, from a lot of different aspects. And we've seen a lot of great articles about how there is a definite impact difference between the genders. And I'm wondering one of the things that I struggle with is trying to learn how to help or how to be involved or what, what am I contributing to? How am I contributing to the problem? What ways can I, and I think that's probably maybe the the crux is if I can't see the problem or I don't know the problem, how, how am I supposed to get better at it? So maybe um, if you two are able to kind of show me or tell us how male physicians are playing into the problem, that can give us some sort of direction as to maybe how we can help with the problems. So I think an important thing, right, for our male allies to do is to be a part of the conversation, to look at GMD or whatever other website that you're interested in learning from, to read the articles, to be a part of the conversation. Um, I think that's kind of the first big step to be aware of the gaps, right? There's a gender pay gap. There's a gender leadership gap. There's a lot of things that that we can show you in the literature. And one of our big things is actually sharing it from a literature perspective and not just a like, in my opinion, no, like this is what the literature shows. And I think being willing to be a part of that conversation, to read the literature and have a like academic discussion about it um, has been really important. And I think is a great way to begin or kind of continue your allyship for women. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different sectors where it happens, right? So like on shift, for example, one of the most interesting things that I think has come out of us having these conversations is that our male residents are more aware um, and they will come to the bedside with me and watch a patient say, no, I don't want to talk to you. Where's the doctor? And say, actually, this is my boss. Like, this is the boss doctor. You do want to talk to her. She knows more than me. And those sorts of conversations, um, I know we've both had instances where patients don't want to be seen by us because we're female, will refuse to be treated by us because we're female. And in those, you know, in that arena of on shift in the emergency department, being able to kind of back up your colleague and say, hey, no, this is, you know, this is female physician. She's awesome. She knows what she's talking about. Like that sort of thing is really helpful. Um, in terms of a lot of the work-life integration stuff, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's really hard because that's really a, in a relationship. So there's not like a lot that you're going to be able to do there, but other than in your own personal life, obviously, but then from a, like sponsorship perspective, I think a lot of times offering things to women, one of the things we tell all of these medical students, we spoke to UF pre-med students yesterday, it's like women will not 
ask for something, they will not put themselves up for a promotion unless they think that they've met 100% of the criteria. I don't know how many times we've had the conversation together about like, you should apply for that award. No, I haven't done enough in my career. I'm not old enough. I don't have any accomplishments, you know, all of these things. And then we have to kind of push each other. So nominating one of your female colleagues, um, offering if there's something you can't do, like there's a publication that somebody brought to you or there's something like that, you know, suggesting one of your female colleagues is a great way to help sponsor her. Um, I know Lexi and I do that a lot with each other. If I need to say no to something, especially right now, because I'm having to say no much more than I ever have before. um, Instead of saying no, I just say, have you asked Lexi yet? Let me talk to her and see if she can do it. So those are just some brief tips, I think. There's something really little that I've had a conversation with my resident specifically about, which is our male colleagues have a privilege that we don't have in order. And by that, what I mean is they're able to walk into a room and say, hi, I'm Andy. I'm your doctor today. And Mm -hmm. he's accepted as your doctor. I have to say, hi, I'm Dr. Mannix. I'm the supervising emergency room doctor today that it's going to be taking care of you. And I can say doctor as many times as I want in that introduction and may not be recognized as the physician. So I, I mention that to my residents often to be like, you have the privilege of saying your first name. Maybe don't use your first name. Maybe use your doctor name when you introduce yourself to patients because we don't have that privilege to do that. And that's a very small thing, but it is impactful. I'm always amazed at how many opportunities, and this is not a good opportunity that I have as a, you know, attending physician to reinforce the fact that my female residents are physicians with my patients. You know, walk in, hey, I know you already saw Dr. So-and-so. I haven't seen a doctor yet. Yes, you did. I watched her walk in and out of this room. It This was the doctor. Oh, I didn't. Yes, that was the doctor. In fact, that's the doctor that's going to follow up with you also. You will not see me again because they are the ones taking care of you. They are your physician. I'm just here to make sure things go smoothly. You know, um, it, it's really an unfortunate thing. Uh, but I think it's important for us as male colleagues and allies, too, to help reinforce that. And when those situations come up, be the reminder that, that no, this is this is a physician. You have been seen by a physician or, you know, even when it is the supervisor, that is the supervising physician um, to really establish that hierarchy within our patients. Because the more we do that, the more it becomes second nature that that you're experiencing female physicians and that's that is normal which it is normal but unfortunately it's not perceived as normal by so many yeah one of the the awesome things too and i thank you guys so much for participating in this conversation uh and and kind of helping uh open up our minds to the possibilities one of the the best little bits of feedback and it ties so much to what you guys just pointed out is that if you look deliberately at your teams and your makeups. And when I say teams, I'm not just talking about leadership teams at the hospital and committees, uh, although those are actually very important. Um, one of the concepts that we talk about a lot here at EMO Easy is kind of your personal cabinet, right? And one of the things I realized a few years ago was by not lack of, not lack of wanting women on my cabinet, but for lack of just clarity on who I was more easily or comfortably picking. Um, I, I really didn't have any female advocates on my personal cabinet. Uh, and so I became intentional about changing that. And those voices are have benefited me so much in my personal growth and development and my happiness uh, that I can't imagine having my life without those people. And I think that's um, one of the things that I see is now – deliberately making sure 
uh, because it is hard. And COVID has made that, as you pointed out, even harder, making sure that that voice is there uh, because it, it has a different point of view. The, 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 the women in medicine and women in general, the point of view uh, can be so very different, but so uh, very rewarding when brought into the conversation. It can help you avoid so many mistakes and overlook so many things that are going to be problems before they become problems. Um, so, uh, you know, I appreciate your um, your input on it. And I really like those suggestions. Um, and I, I guess my question for you is, um, do you find, because this is something I've just been curious about, do you find um, that it matters the opportunities because I know there is a, there's a great deal. There's about women empowering women. Uh, but as, as Tanner pointed out, we want to be uh, men empowering women as well. We all want to be like the best humans we can be. Um, do you find it different or um, cooler or just weirder when a male advocates? Um, it, I've always wondered that, like, does it feel, it feels weird. Um, in some ways, and, and I know it shouldn't, but I'm going to be honest about it. It does feel weird sometimes. So um, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. So I think we've got kind of two good examples. I hope that answers your question. One is our our in common sponsor um, is a man, and we talk a lot about the opportunities that he has pulled us into, has given to us, et cetera, um, and how important it is to have men in the conversation, especially when you're thinking about sponsorship, because generally sponsors tend to be ahead of you in your career, or at least have a little bit more opportunity or clout or whatever to put their name on the line for you. And because of the gender leadership gap, there are less men, in, or I'm sorry, less women in leadership, more men. So we're more likely to have a male sponsor. Um, and we've found that having our male sponsor as an ally and as a sponsor has been just wonderful. And it's so great to have someone like that in our, in our court. Um, and then we have an example from yesterday. Yeah, so we had a meeting yesterday and we were talking through our making our match list for the program. And actually, one of our male APDs was phenomenal in saying, you know, we need to look at the percent of gender that we have on this. We need to make sure that it's appropriate. And it wasn't coming from the two of us, which was really important because we didn't, you know, we don't want to. Yes, we feel really strongly about that, but I think it meant so much more that we didn't have to bring it up right. and that somebody else was going to advocate for that without us even having to open our mouths. And it was phenomenal to the point that we both sent a text last night when we got home and were separated, but sent a text both to him saying, thank you so much. Like that really meant a lot. And I was really proud just to be your colleague today and how you handled it in that meeting. And um, so I do think it makes a big difference. I don't think it seems weird it coming seem weird from a male. I think we really appreciate it. And sometimes it honestly, it seems even more impactful because it means people are, are understanding and trying to understand and trying to improve things. Yeah. I love that. And that one of the things I really enjoyed was how you said there's so many little opportunities to kind of help bridge this gap a little bit. And uh, one of the things that my wife has been working on me with is the masculinity of just normal talking. And I hear it all the time now. And things like you guys or things like that are, while they're not meant to be insults, like when we're trying to bridge the gap, there's a way that we can talk that is much more gender neutral or even more supportive. And so like even little things like that, I think go a long way. And that can go 
anywhere from on a podcast to a meeting to how you address somebody or how you address a patient even. So um, yeah, that was just, I, I liked how you said that there's many little opportunities. It doesn't necessarily have to be something big, like an advocate for someone. It could just be using the right word. For sure. <laughs> I. I almost called you out earlier when you called Lexi and Melissa, you guys, but uh, you, you did it yourself. So we hey, do it you know, too. We're, we're good. I we do it yeah. too. I'm yeah. a New oh, Yorker. I'm sure I, I'll do it on the podcast too. But that's, but that's what you say. But here in the South, you can use y'all. Yeah. And it's very gender neutral. No, yeah. you can't. <laughs> we use y'all much more than we ever did before because it's like the go-to substitution for us. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. And- it's, it is in fact not a word. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, Grammar, but please. it's less than you ones. <laughs> See, but yeah it's i mean that that's the exact point right there like even though i still slip up i now recognize it and i think that's like the first step right is once you recognize it and it starts to kind of bug you then it then that's when it starts to build and turn into something real uh, tanner to touch on the slip ups right i was having a conversation with a patient the other day and i was like well, when you follow with the, up with your primary care doctor, be sure to let him know that whatever. And she's like, my primary care doctor is a woman. And I was like, how did I, of all people, make that mistake, right? Like, and, and it's just being aware of the language that we use, but also recognizing that we are not perfect humans and we're going to slip up and to forgive yourself when you do. Yeah. One of our residents who graduated last year, he had heard... Lexi and I talk so many times and know, you know, how strongly we feel about so much of this. And he came to me one day. He's like, Parsons, you'd be so mad at me. I was like, why? He's like, he was on a trip somewhere. He was with his wife. Something happened. There was somebody on the side of the road. He went over to try to help. And there was like another female also rendering care to this person on on the ground. And he's like, are you a nurse? And he was like, in that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, Parsons would kill me. I was like, I did not kill him. But it was just so, you know, like he recognized it on his own. I Nobody had to say anything. I think his wife said something to him afterwards. But, you know, he immediately like corrected himself. And like we do it too. I mean, it's it's ingrained in all, you know, in so many of us. And it's just kind of starting to become aware and recognizing when we have those moments and correcting the small things over time. And I think that's the point is we we have to start by being aware and, and it's cliche to say that knowledge is power. And, and once we're aware of this and we have the knowledge that this exists, then we can actively work to change how we practice and hopefully the practice of those around us, which is really where this conversation goes. I, I don't think we can come close to having enough time to discuss all about SheMD, but give us like the highlight points of why somebody should follow SheMD and, and what all you offer, not just female physicians, but male physicians as a platform to advocate for females? Sure. So I think my favorite thing or one of my favorite things that we do is the specialty series that Dr. Parsons already brought up where we have women discuss all of their different specialties that they're in and how they do life as a ophthalmologist or as a trauma surgeon or as an EM doc or as a pediatrician or whatever, right? Um, and I think that it is so important to see representation in those careers um, because it's hard to imagine yourself as a whatever if you've never seen someone who looks like you do it. So I really love our Y Specialty Series, and I think that it's a very impactful thing. We like to share that often with the medical students, the pre-medical students that we speak to. Yeah, we've learned about specialties we didn't know existed. So lifestyle medicine is a specialty we didn't know about. Culinary medicine is something new that somebody just contacted us Perinatal and posted. Perinatal psychiatry. Yeah. 
so we're learning as we do it. Yeah. So it's been really cool to read about like, how you get there, all of those sorts of things, um, geared more towards our medical students who may not have like I think orthopedics is like five or eight percent women, so they may never see an orthopedic surgeon that looks like them, and they may not have the opportunity to rotate with one, you know, if they don't have these experiences early to say, hey, this might be something I'm interested in. Yeah, um, and I think to speak to that, I actually sent a medical student to your website. They they wanted to do psychiatry, and they were like, I don't know what it's like to be a, a female to be a psychiatrist. I was like, let me show you a website. And so we went and we found one, and it was great because they came back afterwards and said, like, it was an empowering story to realize they, they thought there was stigma about being a female psychiatrist with rowdy patients and people who are aggressive. And then the one that wrote for you guys wrote a really good piece, and she said, I'm sold. That's what I'm doing. And so I think that, like you said, it speaks to other specialties that even we could send our medical students and people we might want to sponsor outside of EM, too. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, we, we put in a lot of time and effort into yeah. this, and sometimes you don't know the impact you're making. So I'm really great to or grateful to hear that that has impacted someone in a positive way. And I, I think that specialty series also could be useful to male and female medical students. Um, yes, the goal is to show women that women can do any specialty, but the material that's in most of those posts is still about why they chose their field, all of those sorts of things that men would, would also probably benefit from. I mean, I think then the other big thing, since we both have a medical education hat on top of that, we do put a lot of information out about the different events basically that occur in your medical education. So we have an entire series on preparing for interviews. This year, we had a bunch of posts on doing virtual interviews. We have a couple of posts that just came out on your match list and making your match list with people from all different specialties. So we try to get outside of emergency medicine specifically. But so those sorts of, th of conversations, which we actually have seen, we've had a lot of male students come or yeah, male medical students come and interview with us for residency positions and say, oh, yeah, I read your articles on CMD um, on interviewing. And so that's, you know, it's been really nice to see it spread in that way. I don't think that was something we thought we would do when we started out with it. But it's just a knowledge that we have that we might as well be sharing with the world. And then off the website, when you look at our social media, we do a lot of evidence-based medicine discussions, right? So gender medicine or however you want to phrase it. But we talk a lot about journal articles. We talk a lot about the data. And that's one of the things I really like specifically about our Instagram platform. I think we do a good job of bringing that information to the level of our our learner or our consumer or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's one of the things I also really like that we do. Yeah, we do have a journal club spot on our website. So everything that we put out on the Instagram, a lot of that is also on the website so that people can find the articles that we're referencing and kind of learn a little bit more about them and then link to them. Just to give you another plug, it's a great website. It's one vi very visually appealing uh, to look at. The information is fantastic on there. I will say, though, uh, I would love to see a male T-shirt because I would totally kick some she MD gear, but nobody wants to see me in a female-fitted loose neck <laughs> T-shirt. It's just that, that will not help the brand. Great idea. We, we will definitely look into that. Um, well, when you look into it, <laughs> there are four purchases being made for this group that we will wear on an episode for future sure. to be recorded. My husband, speaking of partners being real partners, my husband is, we sometimes joke the third leg in the tripod of GMD because he does all of our shipping. And he alerted me yesterday that I needed to place another shirt order because we were short on mediums. So I think maybe I will have to do uh, unisex also. 
Well, Melissa and Lexi, thanks so much for coming on to talk with us here at EM Over Easy. Uh, This was a great episode. I think we all, each of us, came in with uh, something we wanted to get out of it, and we all left definitely more educated about ways we can empower and sponsor our female colleagues and then also the people coming up behind us. So if you want to check out SheMD, go to www.shemd.org. We will throw their social media links in the post on the blog, and uh, we look forward to having you guys back to talk about some of this Because I think, like Drew said, we could talk about the different layers of this uh, for a long time before we ran out of stuff to talk about. So, again, thanks so much for coming on and uh, gracing us with you guys being on Emo Reason. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us. Thinking about every day on.